1: And welcome to episode 347 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we interviewed Nick Reshrain of Experts.com as part of our Fresh Voices on Legal Tech interview series. Nick was a fantastic guest and provided us with a ton of great insights. You'll definitely want to listen to the episode if you haven't already listened to it and check out the other interviews in our Fresh Voices series. In this episode, we have noticed that we, and by we, I definitely mean me, are being deluged with invitations to and reports from legal tech conferences, CLE sessions, and more every single day, and most of them are seem to have gone back to being in person. That got us thinking about how we actually learn about legal tech and whether the approaches we see now are the best ways to actually learn about tech in law. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode?
0: Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be wondering out loud if the current approach to conferences and CLE is helping or hurting those who want to learn about legal technology and new tech in law. In our second segment, we will play another instance, another round of our new thumbs up, thumbs down game. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can start using the second this podcast is over. And I may surprise you about generative AI in our parting shots. But first up, we wanted to think together with you about how best to learn about legal tech, whether the current conference CLE model still works, uh, because as our, or maybe Dennis more than me, but as our email, LinkedIn, and social media show us every day, there seems to be, I don't know, about thousands, thousands really, but, but lots and lots of events at the moment. Dennis, what made you think about this topic at this time, other than the deluge? There were three things. So one is, I, I just feel bombarded every
1: day with, with announcements of very similar sounding, you know, these 50-minute You know, all you can eat in one 50-minute session about uh, some legal tech topic, generally AI. So there's the number, sheer number of announcements. Then, as I was planning my own cybersecurity and data protection class for this uh, this fall semester, I was doing a lot of thinking about how I was going to teach my students about cybersecurity and data protection. And if there were really good ways to do it and 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 it's, I sort of realized that I had fourteen weeks of 100 minute classes, and I could really teach them a lot, so they they could be really savvy about this topic. And that's a lot different than one fifty minute uh, as I say, all you can eat session. And then the third thing is I keep seeing photos of these. Panel presentations in in hotel rooms with terrible lighting and people sitting down and their projector there and and you know I just go back to it's those uncomfortable chairs and and you know people talking quickly and generally and and leaving without uh, knowing. It, that much more than they uh, they knew when they came in as a practical matter with, with stuff they could take away. So I don't know, Tom, do you have a similar sense or is, is this once again, just me?
0: We have the same sense about, the volume that's returning. Things are getting back to, I'll put quotes around normal, but things are getting back to normal from how they used to be. We're getting more in-person conferences. We are seeing them. I would argue this is no different from the conferences that we used to see before. Everything you described sounds like conferences that we saw before. I think where we may differ here with your and my senses, while they're basically the same, You're putting a negative spin on it, and I'm putting a positive connotation on it because I think that, in general, it's a good thing to get together. I think it's a good thing to socialize with people. I'm going to go into that in a little more detail later. I think that there are benefits to the conferences and the CLEs. I don't necessarily think a legal tech education is one of them, uh, which is where I think we'll agree on this topic. Yeah, I mean, I have that back to the past feel.
1: You know, people are talking about oh, there's standing room uh, only sessions. There's like uh, these these panels with you know with interesting people, and they're telling funny stories. And you know, not that many people are getting COVID, um, so that's a plus too. Um, but but I sort of go back to what you were saying is I'm not sure what people actually learn in these things and. And I don't know whether it's because I have certain things that I want to learn that I don't see how I can learn them in those in that with that type of approach or better said, what can you learn in 50 minutes from a panel presentation? Believe it or not, Tom, I was actually at a couple of conferences this summer and and spoke at at one of them and. I think that I'm going to echo what you say. I, you know, it was great talking to people. I learned stuff from asking questions of, you know, and talking to people after the sessions. But that was because I put the effort into that. And I'm not sure, you know, in the panel approach, how much I actually learned that I would have been happy to have said I paid for that to learn something.
0: you know. I think this is one – I won't call it a change because there is, to a certain extent, everything old is new again, Um, but – I don't hate that the sessions are like that if you go into sessions like that at conferences with the right mindset about it. Back when you and I planned conferences, back when we were planning ABA Tech Show, um, one of the things that we like to try to do was try to make the, se- the, 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 the sessions educational. We tried to do that. I'm not sure how or whether we were, how successful or whether we've earned successful at all, but I would argue now there's so much to cover there are so many things to talk about that I would argue there's no way to teach in a session. There's no way to learn in a session at a conference. So I would make the argument that a technology conference is shouldn't be about learning at all in that deeper sense it should be about awareness it should be about making you aware of the latest topics give you enough information to start thinking about it get you interested give you some initial tools on what to do about it but then it's up to you and i think we're going to talk about later about what you can do to to do more on it but i think that it that conferences are catalysts they're not necessarily Training places in and of themselves, um, which is where I think you and I may differ on. I don't. I just don't think that whether people intend it to be or not, I just don't think they should be considered educational. Yeah, and it's partially, I think
1: the the job to be done notion that I, I you know in part you know the job to be done I want from a conference is gonna, is different than than I think that others might want. But but I do notice there is you know when i hear people talk about conferences um especially the big legal tech conferences what they're saying to me sounds like Yelp reviews they talk about parties they talk about the cocktails they had the swag they got the hallway uh, conversations you know how far they had to walk and why why there couldn't be more golf carts and to me what are kind of superficialities rather than to say like here are the cool things we learned f- uh, you know at this conference which is what I'm most interested in at this point um, he, you know not 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 these other things and then then I, I feel and and, and and you know this time from our, our days at, at aBA Tech show is that uh, but I think it's a lot worse now is that of course Every single legal tech conference is either the best or one of the best. And so you you don't even know what people are, are describing anymore.
0: So what's most interesting to me about what you've just said, Dennis, is and, and I and I'm really I really want to go to the Legal Tide Network folks and I want to dig into the archives and I want to find uh back in 2017 and 2018 our our usual recap of ABA Tech Show. And and I want them to splice in the tape where I'm gonna say it almost word for word. Because I talk about the sessions that were most important to me, and Dennis Kennedy, word for word, says, you know, I really don't go to the sessions. I mean, everything valuable to me happens out in the hallway. I I have more. I get more out of the conference from the conversations I have, and I actually don't make it to any of the sessions. So what we're witnessing, folks, is a, is a 180 is what it feels like. This is a, a, a change for him. And I don't know if your time in academia has changed that perception and if it's the reason for that, but I was always the person more interested in the content than the hallway conversations. But I have come around, frankly, on my end to the idea that the overall experience of that conference is not just about understanding what's going on in the sessions but it's a combination yeah I don't want to know how long it is from one room and I don't really care about the parties and stuff like that but I think it's more than just being in the, in the classrooms and I'm interested that you have come and made such a what appears to be a switch from your past, Revelations on and, and opinions about tech show and other conferences.
1: It's consequences of, of our COVID times. Like what you know, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be at a place, what is the job to be done? And you know, I I would go to tech show for for any number of reasons. Now I'm kind of like, well, if if I want to go to a conference and put myself at risk, then. I have to be able to learn more or to see more benefit than I can get from what I can get from webinars. So that's one thing. And then, then also, uh, we've talked about this before, but every either there's 100 million experts out there or there's none. I don't know what the answer is, but there's just so many people uh, who are experts on this and, and that, uh, like all of a sudden, so many AI experts. But... Maybe I, I zero in, Tom, on this panel thing, because uh, that's the one thing that I uh, that bothers me. Because I just don't. It's hard to see, even when I'm a person on the panel, uh, I have to work really hard to say what can I what can I give people that they can they can take away. But here's my least favorite thing, and maybe you'll, uh, you'll agree with me on this. I'm not, but you you see a panel and they start out by uh, saying. Somebody saying, "I'm not really an expert, so I'm not sure why I'm even on this panel." And I'm going, "Like I'm in the audience. I wish you weren't on the panel either." I mean, like, like, what is the point here? So I don't know. Maybe I'm just. Maybe this is a get off my lawn episode for me.
0: Feels a little bit like that, but you. But you're not wrong about panels. I mean, there are so many panels that, either have you know, wrong people on them, people who don't belong on them, or maybe just the wrong combination. Or frankly, I've been on panels before where the people haven't worked with each other. And when you don't work with each other, it makes for a bad experience. Because ideally, the people who are planning the conference work hard to put the right people on there. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes we made mistakes on that. But I think that the goal is to put people with different Experiences, and it should be that panel's job to figure out what they're different, what they bring to the table that's different from everybody else, how they are differentiated, and and they should call that stuff out during the panel. I think there are ways to improve them, but I think you're, I think you're generally right. I just think, I think again, I come back and say yes, the way that these are put together is. A model that leaves a lot to be desired, but I would not – I would argue that it is not something that should be considered to be educational in the first place. Yeah, uh,
1: and and I would say I'm looking at Legal Week New York, which I, th- I think is what they call it now, uh, but – I saw that they're going to have an actor who apparently, you know, and I'm Tom. You know, my expertise on uh, on pop culture is probably not what it should be, but uh, they're going to have an actor who apparently plays a lawyer in a popular TV show actually do the keynote. And so I'm I'm kind of like if if I'm the boss. And it's my firm's money or my company's money. Why, why would I go to that? Or why would I want to send somebody to that where they're essentially seeing
0: somebody who's being paid a lot of money do like a, a piece of entertainment theater? Because the keynote's not about learning anything, to be honest. I mean, the keynote is about bringing people in. It's about who will, what is a name that would bring people in? And although I wouldn't learn anything about being a lawyer or legal technology from that person, it would still be interesting to see that person. You know, finding a keynote speaker who is both engaging and on a topic that means something is an interesting dilemma. And I have seen a lot of legal tech conferences move to celebrities because the goal is Who's going to draw the most butts in the seats? I mean, who's going to bring that in? And a lot of times that celebrity is going to do it because people would rather be entertained than taught or have a, that kind of experience. And, and that's what's more likely to get them spend the money. I don't know that I nece- I agree with that necessarily, but I will say also we've had a lot, I've seen a lot of keynote speakers with zero name recognition who were terrible because one, their name recognition was bad and they just turned out to be really bad speakers. So I don't know. All right, we got a lot more to talk- talk about here. We've got some ideas for maybe some ideas for creating some learning opportunities about legal technology, maybe our thoughts about what we want to do, but we need to take a break. So let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard.
1: And we are back. Tom. I think it would be good as a starting point to have you talk a bit about what you did a while back when you headed a task force on new approaches for ABA Tech Show and how you and and the group you were part of thought about legal tech conferences.
0: When I saw that you put that in the script, I thought that you were maybe ambushing me in a little bit, because ultimately this task force failed. So it's something that uh, that, that even though I'm going to talk about, is something that never really happened. And I will say that, that the reason why we decided to do this for ABA Tech Show is that we were concerned with the kind of like we've been talking about the stagnant way that content is presented at conferences we wanted to liven things up we wanted to make the conference more than it usually is than it than it could be you know it's still presented that way and so many conferences are People on a riser, either at a table, white chairs now, lots of white chairs, very standard fare. Speakers speak, attendees listen. And none of that changed. Now, what we were interested in doing was changing the model to get better engagement with the attendees, have them spend more time with the people who are the experts. And, you know, unfortunately... There wasn't a lot of interest in changing that model um, for various reasons that I'm not going to get into, but there just wasn't a lot of interest, so it never really went anywhere. And to be honest, most conferences still follow pretty much the same model. I would say that Clio probably has been the most successful at breaking out of that model and doing different, new, and interesting things. Um, uh, You know, Iltacon kind of has the, let's throw everything at the wall and see what, what sticks for people to go to. So I would imagine that there are a lot of successful things out there, but what I would love to see is something that we wanted to do with Tech Show, which I think is actually... It was a smart way to change the paradigm of technology conferences. And I'm going to, I won't take the credit for this. I'm going to give the credit to our friend, Matt Homan at Filament, because he was really the one that had this idea, which is that trying to change a paradigm of a conference, trying to make it better, trying to bring about great change is something that has to be done. This is going to sound like a bad word, but insidiously, it needs to come about slowly and gradually. People are not going to accept a change just automatically. It's just what we've seen from conferences, it's just not going to happen. So what he proposed and what we wanted to do were what we would call small experiments. That's why we called it the labs. We were going to be in the labs. Small experiments, nothing big enough to change the overall experience, but big enough to get an idea of whether it makes sense to use it the following year, maybe expand it, you know, a new or innovative way of engaging the audience. Just a few small experiments a year, um, and in five years, your conference might look very different. So that was kind of the idea that we had. Again, didn't go anywhere, but if I were going to, you know, re- change the model of conferences these days, uh, especially with conferences that tend to embrace or at least don't get away from that kind of uh standard, very uninteresting model, that might be a way to approach it.
1: Yeah. And you've, you've sort of restated the classic innovation uh, dilemma, which you have a successful existing business and there's you feel there's a need to innovate and do new things. And then the question becomes, can it be done within the existing business framework or does it have to be done separately? And the jury is out on that. I mean, I, I generally feel that it's, it's extraordinarily difficult to do it from within a larger, uh, successful institution. And that's why you often see the new types of things come in with new approaches. And that's the way to do it, uh, where you say, uh, even if we try to do it within the existing framework, we do a completely separate conference that has the new approach. But I agree with you, Tom, that there is this sort of classic dilemma there that you deal with. I have some observations from, from my own classes and from teaching over the last few years. And so when I look at the conferences and CLEs, I say if I compare them to law school classes, which which I teach now, what are the differences, and what are the expectations of that we have of students to learn things? And I and I I noticed this: CLEs have no pre-reads, you know. There's nothing that that keeps attendees, you know, they don't really feel the need to stay in their seat. Uh, There's no follow-up. There's no quizzes. There's no testing. There's no, typically, if you send somebody to a conference, they don't report back, you know. And so it's actually not designed in a way to help you, even if you want to learn, to retain that and to work with what you've learned. And so I sort of feel that we know a lot now about adult learning and what works, and you know different approaches to learning, different models, of how people learn uh, in some different ways, and how we might work with that. And I'd like to see some of that, incorporated into what we're doing, if we feel that we have this sort of mandatory continuing legal education need, that these, these types of programs are supposed to, to meet the requirements. Because I'm not sure, as you say, Tom, either it's, it's an entertainment or it's education, and we're really veering toward the entertainment side of, of things, but the, the stated purpose is, is learning, but time I, I kind of come back to the core question, which I'll now ask of you, is, how do we really learn tech these days in,
0: in our real lives? Well, I think you first start to learn by finding your own resources. I think you understand that a conference is not going to provide you with enough information. I think I think the conference is where you get the spark. It's where you learn about something for the first time. You, you'll become aware of it. Learn is a strong word. You become aware of it for the first time, and you decide whether this is something you need to know more about, at which point you go and find everything out. And I had a list of things I wanted to talk about, but the way that you described You putting together your cybersecurity class really convinced me that I think probably the best way is really – you know, some type of classroom setting, um, some sort of training class. You know, if it's, a, if it's a topic like cybersecurity or a topic like artificial intelligence or something like that, you know, taking an online course. There are online virtual courses that colleges offer all the time. They're not necessarily for lawyers, but who cares? Um, they're on that, those technology topics, and I think they're valuable to take. If instead of learning about AI or something, your needs are more practical, you need to learn how to use Excel or how to use Word, tons of classes online on how to do that. And it's easy to go find them. They're not college courses. They're online models. There are a lot of people who will sell you for very reasonable prices, a couple of courses on how to become an expert in Word and Excel and in any other tool that you want to become on. Just Google it and figure it out. Obviously, if you want to take uh, the different road out, you've got YouTube. There are probably lots of channels on YouTube that will give you educational content on how to do it. I'd argue that some of it's more promotional than others but there's a lot of good content out there. A lot of legal tech podcasts are good at learning, although I would argue that these are (laughs) just recorded versions of what you're going to see at a legal tech conference. So there may not be a ton of difference in those. Um, But I really, I really like the idea of the online programmer class or a master class or a residency or something in a particular technology is to me an interesting and appealing method of learning. Dennis, what about you? Well, I, I sort of lament a
1: little bit the days when we had more hybrid and online approaches. And I s- sometimes wonder, like, why didn't we learn from the hybrid models? Because I think there was a lot, lot of good things that were, were happening there, uh, some of which I'm still able to, to have the benefit of. So, I, you know, if I compare in terms of learning and I say, here's this conference that I could go to. Um, then I say, my first thing is like, can I, can I just watch it uh, on a web version? Uh, that way, I don't have to travel and do all these other things. Is there a recording of it that I can get on demand? Is there an audio of it that I can speed up, you know, to one and a half or a double speed, uh, which is I'm much more comfortable with? Are there podcasts? Are there hands-on things I can do? Are there courses? Can because in the sense of courses and on-demand work, I can actually learn and, and get presentations from some of the leading experts in the world just from you know sitting sitting at my desk and I think that's become really important in in the way that I learn and so the in person approach doesn 't make as much sense for me if I really want to to roll up my sleeves and, and, and learn and then also I know you don 't like me to talk about AI Tom, but the, uh, I, you know I just do tons of experiments, so uh, like what i 'm doing is roll up my sleeves commit to doing the work and just get really hands-on to learn. And I go back to the jobs to be done thing. If, if I'm at a conference or uh, if I'm presenting and at a conference or even if I'm doing a class, I really want the people who are in the audience to think about what they actually learned from my sessions because I'm putting in the work to give them things that I think are important for them to learn. So I, I think it's a... Given uh, you know, this great variety of resources we have to learn, I think it's you can you can kind of select to see what works with you, and then to just keep asking the question of what, how do I learn? What am I learning? is there actual kind of learning for my, you know, that matches my investment into something that I'm taking part of, whether it's a CLE or as a, a full blown seminar. And so I guess Tom, maybe to, to wrap things up, I'll, I'll just ask the question, are CLEs and conferences in 2023 now
0: more just a business model than they are a learning model? I would argue that they were never a learning model and that they were always a business model, but obviously reasonable minds could disagree on that. I think that conferences have always been about giving the attendee just enough information to understand the concept and perhaps interest them to learn more. You know, let's, let's compare it to a CLE on legal topics. You know, I, here in Texas anyway, and I'm sure it's everywhere else, they have criminal law courses that are four days long or family law courses that are four days long. And no one considers themselves an expert on family law after they attend that multi-day conference. You have to put in the work afterwards to do it. You have, you're getting the basics, but then you have to go and you have to do more work. And I would say it's the same with the legal tech conference. Um, And you got to put in the work. And do your homework afterwards. Absolutely. All right. We have more to talk about. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? It can be frustrating to wade through the malpractice insurance application process, but you know you need to protect your firm. ALPS designed their application to be flexible, easy, and 100% online. Fill it out, review your quote, accept, and pay in as little as 10 minutes. ALPS is the nation's largest direct writer of lawyers' malpractice insurance, and they are endorsed by more bar associations than any other carrier, so they understand law firms. They also know how valuable your time is. And that's why they make legal malpractice insurance easy. Visit alpsinsurance.com to learn more. That's A L P S insurance.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We
1: have a new game we're calling Thumbs Up or Thumbs Down. I will throw out a new idea I've had recently. Uh, Tom can ask any follow-up questions he, he might have and then give the idea a thumbs up to indicate that Dennis should move this idea forward or a thumbs down that the idea should uh, be swiftly thrown into the trash can. I'll get a short rebuttal time. And so here's what we're, what I'm thinking about for this episode. We are now past the 10 year mark, actually I think it's 11, after the ABA adopted the ethical duty of technology competence. It's fair to say that nobody really knows what this means yet. Uh, We discussed the rule in my law school class this week, and that gave me the idea that um, it's actually time for someone to create standards, definitions, and requirements uh, for that duty of technology competence. What does it mean to be technologically competent as a lawyer? And that maybe... Tom and I uh, could do that. Or maybe even better, Tom and I could lead or be part of a small task force that does that.
0: So there actually are some standards. Tom, your reaction? So my initial reaction is, hell no, I'm not doing that. I'm not a fan of self-declaring that you're in charge of something, especially on something that would set national standards. However... And you may be surprised that I will take this position. I do agree with you that there needs to be some movement on this. There hasn't been any movement. No states have, you know, very very few states, if any, have issued any meaningful, opinions or consequences for lawyers on violating the, this standard um, state bars aren't going to do anything on their own ABA does not seem inclined to do anything either you know they may like they do for everything ultimately appoint a task force but I bet they don't because AI is the more important thing to, to appoint a task force for right now um, so I'd rather get together a group of those in the legal tech community who could all self declare together a desire to create change and it would you know it would need to be a group of people who either have connections or other types of power to influence those who would enforce such standards. It can't just be a bunch of guys who said, hey, let's put on a show in the, bar- in the barn and expect that everybody's going to come to it. It's got to be people who have at least some modicum of connections. It would mean nothing to have a small task force yell out into the void with no one listening about what's going on, because I think ultimately for these standards to have any effect, they have to be recognized, and that's not going to happen unless there's a great deal of Thought a great deal of organization put into who is going to be doing this, and so that's all I'm going to say. That's, I think, I think it's a bad idea for you and me, or maybe just me, um, to lead this, but I think it's a good idea for something to happen.
1: Well, you had me at Hell No, which is kind of where (laughs) I had evolved to, but then when you said. Hey, let's put on a show in the barn. I, it got me thinking. I'm like, well, why don't we put on a show? And we, we just find a barn and we have, uh, Chad GPT help us do a first draft of the standards and we throw it out there and we say, these are the standards and have people react to it. And then, then I, as I'm saying that, uh, I'm like, no, it's a hell no. I think hey, we Tom. could do
0: that over the weekend, right?
1: <laughs> we could do it overnight. Yes. Uh, so uh, now it's time for our parting shots that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast
0: ends. Tom, take it away. All right. In a shock. To everyone, I will. My parting shot is on AI because it comes into the into contact with uh, what Dennis believes is to be my obsession, which is Google. Google has introduced Notebook LM recently. Uh, you have to get on a list, but I wasn't on the list for very long before I was uh, granted entry. And um, what Notebook LM does, at least right now, is it is uh, designed to be your research notebook. Is how it it, it positions itself. You can create notebook, and then it will take information right now, currently, only from documents in your Google Drive. So anything that you have in Google Drive, you can basically, you create a project in your notebook, you add documents from your Google Drive to the project, and then you can start querying those documents within the, 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 the notebook that you have. The most interesting thing is that for everything that it quotes, it provides you with footnotes. It tells you what is the source that we found this from, what, where do we get this answer, where do we get all of that. You're not limited to your own information. You could go and download articles from the internet and put them in there and have them be sources that you add to this uh, to this tool that you are working on. Um, the reviews that I've seen of it, I have made not very much use of it so far, but the reviews that I've seen of it say, say that currently it's a little bit of a mess, but the goal is worthy and that in time, this could be something very interesting. And to me, this seemed to be one of the more approachable ways to make use of generative AI in a way that doesn't require you to create an engine to put a lot of information behind. You can upload information and just work on it on your own in that area and get maybe valuable feedback from it. You know, the only issue there is uh, it is Google. You are sharing information from it. My take on it is I'm already sharing everything anyway, so what could that hurt? Um, uh, You may feel differently about it. But if you're interested, Notebook LM uh, is, uh, I think there's a waiting list on there, but it should. And take you too long to get in.
1: Yeah, I took a look at the uh, promo for it, and I signed up for the list. Uh, but it does seem like a thinly disguised way for Google to uh, f- to get you to uh, train. It's uh, AI's and its LL, uh, large language models for free with your own documents uh, that might otherwise be private. So there's there's a number of number of issues and, and there. And
0: ChatGPT is doing nothing like that. Nobody's uploading well, lots of stuff into ChatGPT. Heck no. It's an ongoing issue. And if you
1: would allow me to talk about AI, we would talk about open source <laughs> LLMs. But, Not uh,
0: so, this episode.
1: So anyway, the. Uh, my parting shots, plural, are I realized I hadn't really promoted this article that I, I wrote uh, earlier this year. And it's, it's about an issue we're seeing more of as lawyers. Uh, and so I, this article is called Displaying and Evidencing Contract Terms in a Post-Visual Era. And as we use more devices that don't have screens, we use more audio, uh, we interact with things through AI and, and other things like that, there becomes a question of like, how do we actually show and evidence a contract terms and agreement to those terms in this era. And so this article is is sort of a historical and a future looking approach at, at some of those issues, which uh, it, we're starting to run into almost every day. And then uh, the second thing I had is, is the Legal Technology Resource Center on Law Technology Today has a monthly round table discussion. And the one for August was on phishing and email scams. And there were about seven or eight people talking uh, about uh, different perspectives on phishing and email scams. This is still the biggest area of danger in cybersecurity for for lawyers. So it's a great, you know, plain language, easy to understand kind of anecdotal approach to some of these issues with a lot of a lot of helpful advice. So I, I recommend that.
0: And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can most likely find us on LinkedIn, or you can leave us a voicemail. We still want to get some questions from you for our B segment. That number is 720 441 so until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Myle Report,
1: a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. As always, a big thank you to the Legal Talk Network team for producing and distributing this podcast. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Myle Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book,